Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Happy Sabbath Day, everyone. Welcome to the live services of Us All the Light Ministries, coming to you from the mountains of Tennessee. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries. We'll put on a few songs as all of us gather together to worship Jesus Christ, and then we will have the prayer and the sermon after that. Music will start here in a few seconds. Thanks for joining us today.
let's go in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship and praise you. Thank you, Father, for this new day. Thank you for getting us through this week. Thank you for getting us through this year. Thank you, Father, for preserving us and protecting us from evil. Thank you for calling us and choosing us to gather together to be your people, your nation, your kingdom, your church, and your bride. Praise your holy name. Father, please help us to listen to your word today, to understand. Help us, Father, to be better witnesses to other people, to share your word with others as possible and according to your will and in your timing. May you be glorified in this message today. May your people be edified and may your people grow together as a true family, brothers and sisters, loving one another, supporting one another in prayer, fellowshipping in spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning and good evening, brothers, sisters, and Jesus Christ. Today we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. And that is page 395 in the black and white paperback Alpha and Omega Bible, page 395, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. God willing, we'll read this entire chapter of Jeremiah 5 and make uh, just very few, very few corrections, just a little bit of a correction here, a couple of verses. Today is December the 23rd, 2017 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In God's calendar, it is the fifth day of the tenth month. Fifth day of the tenth month. And the days run from sunrise until sunrise. Now we know that the Jews and the Hebrew Roots people and the Seventh-day Adventist people, that they keep the days from sunset to sunset, that Jesus did not do that. Jesus and the people of God throughout the Bible observed the days from sunrise until sunrise. Look at nature itself, the birds and the animals, Life itself, how people lay down at night to go to sleep, the day is over. But a new day begins when that sun rises. The birds sound their alarm, our wake-up alarm. The birds singing to a new day 
in Jesus Christ. Nature teaches us. Creation, how God created the heavens and the earth, teaches us when a new day begins. But the Jews, the Hebrew roots, Seventh-day Adventists, they follow traditions that come from Babylon, from Assyria. They learned sunset to sunset from the pagan calendar, the Assyrian Babylonian calendar, the Muslims to this very day. Observe the days from sunset to sunset. But this is not what Jesus and his disciples did. This is not what the Bible instructs us about sunset to sunset. No. It only tells us to fast sunset to sunset. That's the only time in the whole Bible that the days are observed sunset to sunset is only when we are fasting by commandment that we begin the previous day at sunset. So by the time we begin the new day at sunrise, that our stomachs was already empty. That's why we do the unleavened bread from sunset and atonement, the fast of atonement from sunset the previous day is so that our stomachs are already empty at sunrise when it begins the holy day of the fiesta of unleavened bread and the uh, day of atonement, that our stomachs is already empty when we begin those holy days so that our fasting can be more true, more sincere, and not be cheating on our fasting. So if you have not yet read the article about when, the, when does the day begin, it is at isawthelightministries.com slash daystarts.html. So it's isawthelightministries.com slash daystarts at uh, daystarts.html. Now, today we're going to be talking about the symbolism of a wolf in the Bible. The title is Wolf Symbolism in the Bible. Wolf Symbolism in the Bible. The animal of the wolf has a special symbolism in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, what is the symbolism of the wolf? What does it represent? And the reason that I'm teaching this today is because uh, just the other day, I believe it was Thursday, that I was on the way to my, uh, a doctor appointment and saw what I believe was a wolf in the grassy area in between the different lanes of the highway, the margin whatever they call it there, grassy area between the lanes. Um, looked like it was eating the uh, dead animal. I don't know if it was a deer or what kind of animal that it was because uh, speed limit through there is 65 miles per hour, so I didn't get a good look at uh, either one of these animals but I believe that it was a wolf. And then when I got to the doctor's office 
And as soon as I looked through the window of the receptionist, there where the secretary sits, look through the window to talk to the secretary, the receptionist, and what do I see? But a drawing of the woods where this person's child, son or daughter, uh, had, you know, took a crayon and colored this woof uh, out of a coloring book. And there was another picture right above that colored in of uh, either a mountain lion or some kind of a cat. can't remember for sure whether it was a leopard, a lion, some type of a cat. And underneath that was the woof. So I do not believe that that was coincidence. I do not believe that was coincidence. I don't believe that that's possible to have just seen a wolf in the wild for, I think, the first time in my entire life. First time in my entire life of seeing a wolf out in the wild. I've seen them out, you know, in the zoo, and I've seen coyotes out in the wild. But I've never seen a wolf out in the wild. And so to see that for the first time in my life, the only time in my life, and then to get to my destination of where I'm traveling to and immediately see this coloring book page on the wall of a wolf, that is not coincidence. That's proof that God is real. Amen. It's proof that God is real. And so he must be speaking to us. And if he's speaking to us, what do we do? We go to the Bible. If the word or the symbolism or the sign or the dream or the vision or the appearance of whatever he's saying to us, if it's a wolf, we go to the Bible, we look up the word wolf. And here is what I found, starting in Jeremiah chapter 5. And for those that may be listening for the first time, we're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible translation, as we do each week. And if you're not familiar with the Alpha and Omega Bible, or why we would use it rather than the King James Version, then I encourage you to read the articles at I Saw the Light Ministries uh, explaining this, and to examine your own self about your traditions and customs of what man has taught you throughout your lifetime. What if you had been born in India and had been raised a Hindu with Hindu temples, Hindu shrines, Hindu Hindu books and literature and religion, and your parents were Hindu and everybody you knew was Hindu and that's the only thing he was raised in is Hinduism, would you still be a Hindu? to this day? Would you question yourself? Would you ask the hard questions about the cultures and traditions of your religion, the literature and religion, and the teachings of your religion? No, probably not. Millions and millions of people live in India, and they do not question what they believe, and they remain a Hindu to this day from birth to death 
religion of the local culture. The same thing is true in China about Buddhism. And if he was born in Iraq or Iran or Saudi Arabia, it would be Islam. If he was born in Mexico, it would probably, probably be the Catholic Church and never question the teachings and doctrines of your religion based upon where you live. And it's no different in the United States. Or anywhere upon this world, it's no different. A lot of people born in Utah, from birth to death, that they are Mormon. A lot of people in the North, it's mostly the Catholic Church. A lot of people in the South, it's mostly the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church. But from birth to death, it is the religion of their family, of their parents, and of their local culture, without examination, without questioning. So you may have been raised to only believe in only the King James Version and no other version. But have you independently, sincerely examined the doctrines of that belief that the King James is the only Bible on this planet that's susceptible to read from. Published in 1611, what happened, what was the church reading in 1610? What was the church reading in the year 100? 200, 300, for 1,600 years, what was the church reading? The Alpha and Omega Bible is a restoration of what they were reading for those 1,600 years. Look it up yourself. Do your own research. Fast. People don't fast no more. Nobody fasts. Fast, pray, cry out to the Lord in sincere, deep, honest self-examination, humbling ourselves, asking the tough questions, come out of traditions of man. So starting in Jeremiah chapter 5 here, verse 1, says, run you about in the streets of Jerusalem, and see, and know, and seek in her broad places, if you can find one, if there is anyone that does judgment, meaning justice, and seek faithfulness, who seeks faithfulness, can you find anyone, Jeremiah? Look in all of your cities. Look in all Jerusalem. Can you find anyone? who does justice, that word judgment there needs to be translated as justice, which means doing the right thing, making the right decision, doing the right actions, keeping the commandments of the Lord. Is there anyone who seeks faithfulness? Then I will pardon them says Jesus. And we do have the word Jesus, the name of God, in the Old Testament, in the Alpha and Omega Bible. It may 
seem strange to you. It may sound strange to you and have the name of Jesus in the Old Testament because you've never been taught that before. You've also never been taught, but it's documented fact. Documented fact. Very, very, very easy to find out if you would do the research that in the Old Testament in King James Version and other translations where it has the word Lord in all capital letters, there's a reason for that. But the letters throughout the rest of the Old Testament is not in capital letters. But when you get to that word Lord in the Old Testament, it's all capital letters. Why? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why? And the answer is very easily found if you would take the time to ask yourself that question. And the documented fact is, it's in capital letters to let you know that that replaced the name of God. The name of God was taken out of the Old Testament. You may have never heard that before, but if you do your research, it is very, very, very clear they took the name of God out. Now, they say that the Jews believe that the name of God is so sacred that you cannot pronounce it or write it. And even if that was true, the name of, the name of God was there. And that's a fact. The name of God was there. Even the Jews admit that. So, even though the name of God is sacred and holy, God did tell Jeremiah, uh, God did tell Moses, write it down. God did reveal His name to Moses, and Moses wrote it down. But the people were rebellious and wicked, full of sin. The Israelites were. We know that. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible tells us that those people went and committed spiritual fornication, spiritual adultery with other nations, the heathen, pagan nations that had false gods. The Egyptian nation, the Egyptian gods, the sun god, the moon god, the gods of the Babylonians, the gods of the Assyrians, the gods of the Greeks, and kept those religions. They they actually followed these false gods of other religions. And that made God very angry. And God sent them into captivity, basically said to them, if you want the Babylonian religion and the Babylonian gods and the Assyrian gods, you can have them. If you want that man, you can have him. You want that man, if you want to commit adultery, you can have him. I divorce you. And God divorced the nation of Israel and threw her out of the house and threw her into the arms of her lovers, the Assyrian and Babylonian nations. And that's going to be talked about a little bit of their fornication here in Jeremiah. Let's get back into this in verse 2. They say, as Jesus lives, they say that. They say, hey, I'm saved. I know Jesus. 
They say that. Do they not therefore swear falsely? Hey, I know a lot of people that says Jesus lives. I know a lot of people that says Jesus saves. I know a lot of people that go to church. I know a lot of people that think they are saved. The ever word out of their mouth is a cuss word, F word, and saying blasphemous things that I won't even repeat here on their Facebook page and on Twitter, but yet they're saved. And they commit all the same spiritual fornications that these people in this chapter did. We'll find out what that was here in a minute. They swear falsely. They swear falsely that they're saved. Verse 3, O Lord, your eyes look for faithfulness. Not just for somebody saying I'm saved, but faithfulness. Somebody that will do justice. Somebody that will keep the commandments of the Lord. Be faithful to him. Be a true follower of him. Your eyes look for faithfulness. You have scourged them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they would not receive correction. You have made their faces harder than a rock, and they would not return. Yes, God has sent the tornadoes, the earthquakes, the wars, plagues, famine, and disease, and the people have not repented. They they just say, we will rebuild New Orleans. We will rebuild Florida. We will rebuild Puerto Rico. But they do not repent. They do not recognize the hand of the Lord when the Lord is thanking them. Verse 4, then I said, it may be they are poor, for they are weak, for they know not the way of Jesus, for the judgment of fear. So Jeremiah starts making excuses for the people. They've not been taught, they've not heard it, they've not received the proper teaching, whatever. There's five, I will go to the rich man or great man and will speak to them. For they have known the way of Jesus and the judgment of Theos. But behold, with one consent, they have broken the yoke and they have burst the bonds. Jeremiah basically says, you know, I, I feel sorry for these, the sheep basically, the members of the church, the people who think they are saved, and, and other people, the normal people, the congregation, the inhabitants of the land, they're just that poor people. They have not received the instructions. So I will go to the rich. I will go to the great. I will go to the leaders. I will go to the leaders of the churches. I will go to the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. I will go to the leaders and the elders. For they know the way of the Lord. And I would speak with them about teaching the people and, and uh, correcting the people and correcting uh, the paganism that we have embraced and so forth. But guess what? He went to them and guess what? They did not repent. 
and the elders, the rich men, the great men, and the leaders did not repent and did not lead the people in repentance. I know maybe it was about a year ago, I think, that somebody had contacted me from Canada, embracing the truth, learning the truth, accepting the truth, just had come out or coming out of Babylon at that time, leaving the Baptist church at that time. He was going to the Baptist cemetery. They call it seminary. I call it cemetery because that's what it is. place full of dead man's bones. But he was coming out of the Baptist school of religion, similarly, where they was teaching the Baptist religion and the Baptist doctrines and the Baptist, so-called Baptist, but they don't even believe in Baptism anymore. They need to change their name. That religion was based upon the requirement of Baptism. And they don't even believe in that anymore. They need to change their name. They should be called the Non-Baptist Church. He was coming out of it. He called me. He emailed me. He contacted me. And he said, I will go to the leaders. I will go to my pastor. I will go to the dean of the school. I will go to this person, that person. And I will meet with these people because I know that they know the way of the Lord. I love them and they love God. And I know that if I just tell them the truth, about what Scripture really says, I know that they will repent and teach others repentance. Very naive. Admirable about hope is to be admired that such a person would have such a great hope that the leaders would embrace the truth when confronted with the truth and would repent and teach others the truth. Admirable to have such great hope, such great faith. But it's a hope and a faith based on being naive. Not knowing the reality, not accepting the reality that the leaders of Babylon are the very woods the very cause of the deception. They are the leaders of the deception, and they are not going to repent. You can confront them all you want. Give them all the scriptures in the world. But they are not going to repent. They are the leaders of the deception. Jeremiah thought he would go to them, but he also learned the hard way as well. In verse 6, therefore a lion out of the forest, smitten them. And remember, right up above the picture of the wolf that I saw was also a picture of a, a cat, of a lion, leopard, whatever it was. A lion out of the forest smitten them, and a wolf has destroyed them even to their houses, and a leopard has watched against their cities. All that go forth from them shall be hunted. For they have multiplied their ungodliness. They have strengthened themselves in their rebellion. 
instead of repenting, they got deeper in their false doctrine. They reinforced their rebellion. They got deeper in their rebellion. And so the symbolism of a lion and a wolf and a leopard in this verse represents the enemy. Amen. Invaders, Babylonian invaders coming into the land of Jerusalem and killing people in the act of war and invasion of Israel. But why? Because the people have sinned. People sinned. And that is the fruit of it. This is the result of it. If God sent invaders to spank them, to discipline them and chastise them. But what did the people do? They didn't repent. They got deeper in their unfaithfulness. And the people continued to embrace the Babylonian gods. Verse 7, in what way shall I forgive you for these things? God does not forgive us unless we repent. Only if we repent will God forgive us. It says, your sons have forsaken me and sworn by them there are no gods. And I fed them to the full and committed adultery and lodged in harlots' houses. They became like lurid horses. They nighed each one against his neighbor's wife. Footnote there says, Nyan means making mating calls like an animal. So in other words, committing physical adultery, taking another man's wife. Verse 9, shall I not visit for these things? Shall I not come down upon you for these things? Saith Jesus, shall and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go up upon her battlements, break them down, and make not a full end, but leave her busterous. That needs to be retranslated in a way that people can understand what that word means. So we'll retranslate that as support foundations or foundation. Leave the foundations. Don't destroy the city 100%. Leave a remnant of people, leave some of the infrastructure, leave a few of the buildings, leave some of the foundations, for they are Jesus's. Jesus founded Jerusalem. Jerusalem belongs to Jesus. Amen. So even though he will spank them and send invaders and send destruction, he says, don't destroy all of them. Leave some of the foundations. For they belong to Jesus. Amen. Verse 11 here, Jeremiah 5, verse 11. For the house of Israel have indeed dealt treacherously against me, saith Jesus. The house of Judah also, verse 12, have lied to their Lord. And they have said, These things are not so. No evils shall come upon us, and we will not see sword or famine. That's what the people said, even though Jeremiah was sent and Ezekiel was sent and other prophets of the Bible and other prophets that we don't even have record of 
was sent to the people of Israel and told them, the invasion is coming. Repent, repent, repent. And they did not repent, but got deeper in their sin. They said, as it says here, that it won't happen. The troubles and the evils will not come to us. We will not see the sword or famine. That is what America is saying right now. That is what Australia, even a lot of the inhabitants of South Korea, think that war is not coming. People in other nations look at Korea and they they know that war is coming. But people in South Korea literally just blow it off, don't really believe that it's going to happen because they've heard about it for such a long time that the war is coming that they just blow it off now. Don't really believe it's coming. And Americans, Americans, for the most part, think that we're too wonderful, we're too perfect, we're too great, we're too wonderful, we're too blessed of the Lord to receive a spanking from the Lord. Way most Americans think. But if you look at America, as great as it is, and, and despite the fact that America was founded by God, despite that, America, for the most part, has forsaken Jesus and committed fornication, including homosexuality and embracing of false religions. Buddhism continues to increase inside of America. Atheism, abortion, Islam, and a million other sins. And even when you look at the so-called conservatives, when you, even when you look at the so-called Christians, and they say Jesus lives and Jesus saved and I'm saved and I go to church or I read my Bible or I pray or I've not murdered no one and think they're going to go to heaven only because... They have not murdered anyone. They think because they have kept one commandment in the entire Bible, one commandment, that they have not killed anyone, that that's enough and they're going to heaven. But yet you look at their lives and their lives are not pleasing to the Lord. Even when you look at the average Christian and conservative. And it says right here, verse 13, our prophets became wind, and the word of the Lord was not in them. Therefore, thus saith Jesus Almighty, because you have spoken this word, behold, I have made my words in your mouth fire. And this people would, and it shall devour them. That's what he says to Jeremiah. God said to Jeremiah that I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and it's going to be like fire. And you can speak forth words. And these people can literally fall dead just by speaking the word of God. This verse is compared to Revelation 11 where the two witnesses in our day and in our time, it says that if any man shall hurt them, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, the same city that Jeremiah was in, 
that if any man shall hurt these two witnesses, that they will be far out of their mouth, and they will be killed or destroyed in that way. The two witnesses are going to be hated by a lot of Christians, so-called Christians. The two witnesses will be hated by the Jews, by the Muslims, by the Buddhists, by the Hindus, by the atheists, and by so-called Christians. Because the two witnesses will be speaking not your traditional doctrines, but speaking against those traditional doctrines. Your typical Christian will hate them. And these two witnesses will speak the word of God, which will literally kill people who think they are once saved, always saved. Literally kill them, not by the sword, but with the word of God. It's a sharp two-edged sword. Amen. So God tells Jeremiah the same thing. There in verse 14, Jeremiah 5.14. Going to verse 15, Behold, I will bring upon you a nation from afar. Talking about Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. O house of Israel, thus said Jesus, a nation that the sound of whose language one shall not understand. They are mighty men. And they shall devour your harvest and your bread and shall devour your sons and your daughters and they shall devour your sheep and your calves. What kind of animal devours the sheep and the calves? The wolves do. The lambs and the leopards do. But when I saw that wolf only two days ago, for the first time in my entire life, I saw a wolf out in the wild, not in a zoo, but in person. And not only saw it for the first time in my entire life, but then, only a few minutes later, entering the doctor's office and looking through the reception window, see the painting or the, the coloring book page of a wolf. Not coincidence. It is the word of Jesus coming to you and to this city and to this nation and to this world and to all nations and to this entire world that he is sending the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire again unto his people, Israel who is America. Not just the Jews only in the Middle East, for they were only one tribe there. Read the Bible, please read the Bible. You have been taught that Israel is the Jews. But if you read the entire Bible, the Jews are only one tribe out of 12. The Jews are only one tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Where is the rest of Israel? Only America and the British Commonwealth, including Canada and Australia. Only the British Commonwealth and America and the Jews fulfill the prophecies and the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we would be a great people and a multitude 
of nations, more than one nation, that we would bless all the world. America fulfills that. We may be hated of all the world, but America is the nation upon the entire planet that sends health, money, and medical need and physical physical and financial assistance in every disaster across the entire planet every time. The Bible says that the descendants of Israel would bless all nations. But we have transgressed against the Lord, and he is sending the invaders, the woods. There is a war coming, there is an invasion coming, and your prophets and your prophetess and your pastors and your religion and your denomination and your television evangelist is not warning you of this. Why not? Because they don't hear the voice of the Lord. They only hear the voice of their imagination. And they only hear the cash register and the money jiggling in their pockets and their bank account ranking up millions and millions of dollars in their next, their next fancy car and their next fancy mansion. And you may think that their sermons are beautiful and their words are encouraging and their, and their books are edifying and their CDs are wonderful and it's only 1995 plus 495 or 1995 more and another shipping and handling that I tell you the rich. This right here that the rich will fall in this invasion. Amen. Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Rick Myers, Joyce Myers and all those other Myers and all those other isms and all those other false prophets and all those rich people that are the leaders of Babylon, they will fall to the ground and they will be found missing. They will be missing. Where will they be then? They won't be leading the church then. They won't have the electric and the internet and the television to deceive the sheep any longer. They are wolves in sheep clothing and false teachers and false prophets working magic. And they make people fall to the ground by magic, by demonic force, and not by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost to anoint, to heal, to work miracles, to sing, to dance, to joy, to read, many other things that the Holy Ghost can make a person do. But what you see in, in the ministry of dating him it's nothing but black magic that he achieved by praying on a grave, and he admits that. And that man that they call rabbi, the Bible says call no man rabbi, but everybody is calling that man rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who admits that he supposedly got saved by praying on a satanic altar, an altar of Satan. How can you get saves by praying on a satanic altar. When you're giving your life to a Lord, a God, on a satanic altar, it is not the Lord Jesus that you're giving your life to. But rather, it is demons. And he writes all these number one bestsellers, New York bestseller book, millions of copies sold, and all the church Glorifying Jonathan Kahn, the false prophet, false teacher, 
who holds unto Babylonian false doctrines and false prophecies galore. And people have been warned about him and warned about him and warned about him, but they only get deeper and deeper in following that false prophet, despite the fact that every prophecy he has ever pronounced out of his mouth has fallen to the ground and never been fulfilled, not one. But people still follow him. Insanity. Amen. And it says here in verse 17, America, this is for you. Australia, South Korea, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Canada, wherever you're listening from, this is not just for people that lived 3,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago. And it's not just for Jerusalem. This is for anybody and everybody upon this planet because we have the same God. There's only one God. There's only one God. We don't have the same God of the pagans because that is not a God. That's a demon. But we have one God that existed back in the time of Jeremiah that still exists today. His name is Jesus. It belongs in the Old Testament. The name Jesus belongs in the Old Testament. He's the same God of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He changes not. He's the same today and tomorrow and forever. He changes not. He is the same God of the Old and the New. You don't have a God of wrath in the Old Testament like people think. And then a God of love in the New Testament. You don't have a God of hate, anger, and wrath in the Old Testament and then God of love and peace and mercy and grace in the New Testament. That's what Babylon teaches you, though. That's what most so-called Christians believe. I've heard it come out of their own mouth. The woman that works at the local health food store thinks that she's saved. Talk to her about Jesus. Talk to her about, hey, that's the same God of the Old Testament. And she says right out of her mouth, oh, that God of the Old Testament, he was evil. What? What? God of the Old Testament that created Adam and Eve that delivered Noah and his family, he was evil. But this is the thinking of most Christians, not just one woman in one store. It's everybody. If you really dig for the information, if you really dig for what they really think about God, they hate God. Your typical pastor even hates God, even though they won't admit it to you. And still, until, until you show them Scripture, of what the Bible really, really, really says about Christmas, Easter, Halloween, the Trinity, the so-called preacher uh, rapture, you show them what the Bible really says about these traditions of man, the doctrines of man, doctrines of devils, then you'll find out how much they hate God. Because if they really love God, if your pastor, if your Sunday pre-trib, Three-godded, three-headed God, monster God, really? If your pastor that believes all that junk really loved God, then instead of these Assyrian, Babylonian fairy tales, he'd be preaching the truth if you really love God. Amen? He'd be preaching the truth if he really loved God. But instead, they teach doctrines of demons. So who are they following? 
these wolves in sheep clothing. But God is going to send wolves of an invading army against this nation, and there will be invasion of America. It is going to be fulfilled, said the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read the Bible some more here. But God of the Old Testament is merciful. Look here in verse 18. Jeremiah 5, verse 18. Look at the God of the Old Testament as being the same merciful, merciful, merciful God of the New Testament. Verse 18. And it shall come to pass in those days of that war, of that invasion, that thus, Jesus, your Theos, that I will not utterly destroy you. Amen. I will not utterly destroy you. God will have mercy. He will spare and he will preserve a remnant of America. He will preserve a remnant of South Korea. He will preserve a remnant of Australia and other nations and peoples. Verse 19, it will come to pass that when you shall say, Wherefore, why has Jesus or Theos done all of these things to us? But you shall say to them, because you served strange gods in your land. And you shall serve strangers in a land that is not yours. People are going to be taken captive, prisoners of war, from America, from Australia, from South Korea, from Canada, and from Israel, these different tribes of Israel. People will be taken captive as prisoners of war and taken to Iran, Syria, China, and Russia. It's going to happen. Thus says the Lord. This ain't Pastor Tim. It's what God is saying. These strange gods that people have served, nothing has changed. It's the same sins today as it was then. These strange gods that the people are serving is Zeus. Zeus, whose birthday is December 25th. Look it up. Do your research. Don't believe me. Do your own research. Find out for yourself. You don't have to believe a word I say today. But I beg you to examine what you have been taught by traditional religion. Who are these strange gods? It's the same strange God that the people of the Old Testament was worshiping, that people are still worshiping today. Fallen angels, demons, Zeus, Tamas, Ross, and all the other Greek, Assyrian, Babylonian, and Egyptian different names for the same fallen angels of Satan and his kingdom. Nothing has changed. Same God, same sins, same enemy. The only thing that's changed is what they call their religion. What is known today as the Baptist Church and the Catholic Church and the Pentecostal Church, 
Buddhism and Hinduism and so forth, and that ism and that ism and that denomination. All these different religions today was originally Islam. And you have been assuming that Islam started with Muhammad. But the record shows, the historical record shows that Muhammad did not invent a new religion. He didn't do no such thing. He didn't invent Islam. Islam existed before Muhammad was born. The only thing Muhammad did was to change some of the doctrines of Islam and write the Quran. That is the only thing Muhammad did and killed thousands of Jews and Christians and tell the Muslims to kill, to murder Jews and Christians. That's the only thing Muhammad did and have sex with animals and his own family. That's the only thing Muhammad did. But Islam already existed, even in the times of the Old Testament. And Christmas was an Islamic holiday of Assyria. Christmas did not begin with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ had nothing to do with Christmas. Read the Bible. Christmas is of the devil. It does not honor Jesus Christ. It honors the demons, the fallen angel, the Antichrist, the president of Syria. He is the fallen angel. Who is the Antichrist? It is the president of Syria. You will see that fulfilled, even if you don't believe it. For I'm not here to proclaim my opinion. I have no opinion. People ask, what is your opinion? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What is your opinion? What is your opinion? I have no opinions. No opinions. I don't, I don't have a right for opinion. I don't have a right for opinion. I must believe what God says. I must believe what God says. I have no right to my opinion. I am a follower of the Lord. And what he says is my command. Amen? Amen. So I'm not here today to tell you what I think. I'm here to tell you what God says. You can choose to believe God or to reject God. That is your choice. That says here in verse 20, proclaim these things to the house of Jacob. Who's the house of Jacob? That's more than one tribe. It's talking about America not just Jerusalem. And let them be heard. These words be heard in the house of Judah as well, talking about the Jews there. Verse 21, Hear you now these things, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. 21, Will you not be afraid of me? Say of Jesus, No, the people are not afraid of him, but they need to be. People have no fear of the Lord. That's why they commit adultery fornication with false gods, Christmas and Easter and Halloween and horror movies and the list goes on and on and on. Why they use his name in vain and all this junk of false religion and and, and unfaithfulness because they don't fear God. And this is more than just reverence. Amen. It's more than just reverence. 
It's knowing that God can strike you dead if he so choose to do. Or send an invading army or send a sickness or illness or to touch your finances. There you go. Talk about touch your finances. That might wait. Maybe I need to teach about finances more. I've always tried to stay away from financial topics. But if I want to see repent, if I want people to repent, if I want people to fear the Lord and repent, maybe I need to talk about their bank accounts because they're surely not afraid to lose their life. They're not afraid of sickness or judgment or invasion. They're not repenting. So maybe I need to talk about that they're going to lose their money. Maybe they would repent. Something to pray about. Verse 22. Will you not be afraid of me, thus saith Jesus, and will you not fear before me? Who have set the sand for a boundary to the sea as a perpetual ordinance? It shall not pass it. The water shall not pass over the ocean line. Yes, it shall rage, but not prevail, and its waves shall roar, but not pass over it. 23, but this people has a disobedient and rebellious heart, for they have turned aside and gone back. And they have not said in their heart, let us fear now Jesus our Theos, who gives us early in the latter rain, according to the season of the fulfillment of the ordinance of harvest and has preserved it for us. Your transgressions have turned away all these things, and your sins have removed good things in you. So forth. Let's go to another chapter here. Let's go to Ezekiel 22. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. Another place where it talks about the wolf. I saw a wolf. Why did I see that wolf? Ezekiel 22. Page 434 in the paperback copies of the Alpha and Omega Bible, page 434. Ezekiel 22, verse 1. Ezekiel 22, verse 1. And the word of Jesus came to me, saying, And you, son of man, will you judge the bloody city? Yes, declare you to her all her iniquities. And you shall say, Thus saith the Lord Jesus, O city that sheds blood in the midst of her, so that her time should come, and that forms devices against herself to defile herself. In their blood which you have shed, you have transgressed, and in your devices which you have formed, you have polluted yourself, and you have brought near your day and have brought on the time of your years. Therefore have I made you a reproach, a shame, to the Gentiles, and a mockery to all the countries. Verse 5. To those near you, and to those far distant from you, and they shall mock you, you that are notoriously unclean, and abundant in sin, iniquity. Behold, the princes of the house of Israel, presidents, the prime ministers, the leaders, the elders, have conspired in each one with his kindred that they might shed blood. If we apply that today, I think of how they have conspired with one another to keep abortion legal. 
not just in America, but in many nations across the planet, babies, innocent, defenseless, being murdered, slaughtered. There is much bloodshed upon the world today. It will not go unanswered. There are invasions coming to many nations. The Lord is real. And he will not let us go unanswered. The vengeance of the Lord will be poured out upon this planet. Verse 7. In you they have reviled, they have spoken against, father and mother. And in you they have behaved unjustly toward the stranger. They have oppressed the orphan and the widow. And they have set at naught my holy things. And they have profaned my holy days. Most people today don't even believe you have to keep this holy day. They say it's only for the Jews or only for the Old Testament. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Zechariah 14 says that after Jesus comes back to this earth, that all nations, even Egypt, even the Gentiles, We'll have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They have to. It will be the law of God Almighty. It still is. He's the same God, the same laws, the same rules. Of course, we don't have to sacrifice animals no more. We know that was done away with. Men don't have to be circumcised anymore. We know that's done away with. It's very clear in the New Testament. But the New Testament, no words, no words, no words, no words in the New Testament or any words in the Bible does it say that the holy days of God, the holidays of his kingdom, are you part of the kingdom of God or not? If you're part of the kingdom of God, it don't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile or Greek. You're still supposed to keep the holidays of God. How can you say you're a Russian and keep not the Russian holiday? How can you be an American and keep not Fourth of July and Thanksgiving and American holidays. How can you be a Korean and not keep the Korean holidays? So forth, so forth. If you're a member of the kingdom of God, how can you deny and reject the memorial holidays and commemorations of the greatest kingdom that shall ever exist and will have no end to it? Hey, the kingdom of God is not over with. It still exists. The kingdom of God was not done away with by the blood of Jesus. Amen? The kingdom of God is not done away with by the blood of Jesus. The king, the king is still on his throne. He still has a government. He still has a kingdom. He still has a people. He still has a nation. And why should a nation not keep the memorial holidays of their kingdom and pay their taxes, their tithes to their king? How can you not do that? How can you say that you're a citizen and not obey the laws and the taxes that tithe of that particular kingdom? When you pay your tithe, you are showing that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God and that you respect and honor your king. How can you say you honor and respect God and not pay your tithes? It's not done away with. Abraham. Before the old covenant was established, before Moses was born, Abraham paid 
his times to Jesus Christ. The Bible says so in Hebrews, what is it, chapter 7, as well as the Old Testament. The people don't like to give up the money for God because the money is their God and they won't give it up. How dare you say, I have to give God his money. How dare you say that I have to do anything to be saved or to keep salvation because they want to be lazy, 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 hypocritical, do-nothing Christians with no law. And if you have no law, you have no kingdom. And if you have no kingdom, you have no king. Amen. It says here, verse 9, there are robbers in you. I didn't even know that was in that next verse. Robbers. Malachi 3 says that people that don't pay their tithes, they are robbers. They, they, They steal from God. They steal from God. They don't fear God. If they really feared God, they wouldn't be afraid to give up a tiny little dime out of every dollar. And they make a dime sound like it's a million dollars. They really do. It's only a dime out of every dollar. It's nothing. Nothing. But they won't even give that up. Not even that little tiny. Not even that little tiny sacrifice for the Lord. They're not willing to do it. How can they say that they love God? They're robbers, they're thieves, they're wolves. Verse 9, they are robbers and you to shed blood in you. And in you they have eaten up the mountains that have worked on godliness in the midst of you. In you they have uncovered the Father's shame and in you they have humbled her that was set apart for uncleanness. In other words, like in Old Covenant times, you couldn't have a sex with your wife when she was on the period. That's Old Covenant thing. There are some Old Covenant things that we know we're done away with. We know that. We are not Hebrew roots here. We're not an Old Covenant ministry. We are a New Covenant ministry. But not everything in the Old Testament was done away with. Jesus said that. That he did not come to destroy the law or the, or the prophets, but to fulfill. Fulfill does not mean do away with. Amen. God did not come to do away with the Old Testament. Amen. Verse 11, they have dealt unlawfully each one of his neighbor's wife. And each one in ungodliness have defiled his daughter-in-law, and in you they have each have humbled each one his sister and the daughter of his father. When it means humbled throughout that verse, it means have sex with. In verse 12, and you that have received gifts to shed blood. They have received a new interest and usury increase, which means interest. And by oppression you have brought your wickedness to the full and have forgotten me, saith Jesus. And if I shall smite my hand at your iniquities, 
what you have accomplished or done, what you have worked, and that your blood that has been shed in the midst of you. 14, shall your heart endure. Shall your hands be strong in the days which I bring upon you. I, Jesus, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter among you the nations and disperse you in the countries and your uncleanness shall be removed out of you. He's going to purify us. He's going to remove that uncleanness by bringing war, by bringing disaster, by bringing death and famine and disease upon these planets, upon these uh, nations, that he will remove the uncleanness from us. Hey, it's not going to be a bad thing. It's a punishment, yes. But it's a punishment we deserve, which will bear fruits of repentance. There's a scripture that says something like that repentance will occur only when your judgments are in the land. That's the only time people are going to repent. They're not going to repent until the invasion. It's, it, all these people talk about revival only because Trump was elected president. Revival, revival, revival. America great again. Hey, I think it's a wonderful thing what Trump has been doing. He's been uh, uh, getting a lot accomplished in a short period of time. But it's a decoy. America will not be great again for the war between the left and the right has become a physical war. And people are killing each other now and hating each other more than ever before in all human history. Because the war between the right and the left, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. And the invasion is still coming. Because people's sins have not gotten better, but worse. People have gotten worse. The Democrat Party has gotten worse. The leftists have gotten worse. The communists have gotten worse. The Nazis on the left have gotten worse. It's only gotten worse, not better. Trump ain't going to change nothing. It's a decoy making people think it's going to be okay when it's not. They're saying peace and safety. We're going to build a wall. We're going to keep the refugees out. We're going to be all right. We're going to be peace and safety. No. No. The invasion will occur before the wall is finished being built. Ezekiel 38, that they will come in upon a nation without walls. It's going to happen before Trump can finish the wall. That's for sure. No doubt on that. And it says here, verse 14, Shall your heart endure, so your hands be strong in the days which I bring up in you. I have spoken that I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations. I will disperse you. Your uncleanness shall be removed out of you. Verse 16, I will give heritage in you in the sight of the nations. And you should know that I am Jesus. And the word of Jesus came to me saying, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel and all to come to me as if it were mixed with brass and iron and tin and lead. They are all mixed up in the midst of the silver. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord Jesus, because you have become one mixture, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as silver, brass, iron, tin, lead are gathered in the midst of the furnace to blow far into it that they may be melted, so that I will take you in my wrath, and I will gather and melt you. You know why it's saying? 
if we're going to be pure gold, symbolically, spiritually, gold, pure gold is pure. Pure silver is pure. Pure, each one of these elements, pure brass is pure. But he wants us to be gold, pure gold. And to be pure, we have to stop mixing ourselves with all these false religions. Think of uh, and other nations, pagan nations, heathen nations. We've got to stop shaking hands with Saudi Arabia. We've got to stop fornicating and going to bed with Saudi Arabia and Iran. Think of uh, the image that Daniel interpreted, the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and the, the image of the head of gold and the different silvers and brass of the head of gold and the chest and the torso and so forth going down into the arms, I mean down to the legs and feet of iron and clay. These elements in this chapter is related to that, of what Daniel saw, King Nebuchadnezzar saw. That it is false religion mixing together with the nations. And you have the Iranian Muslim nation, which that's the Persian Empire, which was part of the image that Daniel saw. That was the second part, the head of gold, and then the next part, the chest of the Medo-Persian Empire, Iran, and then the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. So you've got these different empires, different nations, and different religions, which are all the same religion, but different elements of that religion. Whereas the Greek empire brought forth a certain Greek element of that day and that time of what their resources was at that time of the Greek empire and mixed on more into the mixture. And each empire came and mixed more into the mixture. And so today... The Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Catholic Church, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, the so-called Church of God, the so-called Church of Christ, all these different things, even Buddhism and Hinduism, even those and even Islam, is a mixture of these previous empires being all mixed together and being brought down into the feet of clay and iron, a mixture in the feet today. And so because the Baptist Church is actually a mixture of Islam and the Catholic Church and Greek mythology. That's what the Baptist Church is. Greek mythology. An ever-burning hail that nobody ever dies in. That was uh, a doctrine of uh, uh, Dante, uh, Dante's Inferno, Greek Empire, Greek mythology, uh, and so forth. So he's going to take the people into a war uh, in Jerusalem. All the nations into a war in Jerusalem in order to uh, purify us, get rid of these false doctrines. Amen. And look at verse 24. Son of man, say to her that you are the land that has not rained upon, neither has rain come upon you in the day of wrath, whose princes in the midst of her as are as roaring lions seizing prey, devouring souls by oppression, and taking bribes, and your widows are multiplied in the midst of her. Her priests 
also have set at naught my law and profaned my holy thing. They have not distinguished between the holy and the profane, nor have they distinguished between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my holy days. They did not keep the holy days, and I was profaned in the midst of them. Her princes in the midst of her are as wolves, ravening to shed blood that they may get this honest gain. So here the wolves represent the leaders, the rich, the powerful, the leaders of Babylon, the leaders of America, the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the Baptist Church and the Catholic Church. Whether you're talking about government or religion, the leaders, these are the wolves in sheep clothing who are opposed to help people, but they devour people. The wolf in the Bible is a symbolism for invading armies, invading soldiers, and false ministers and poor leaders. Leaders that don't really lead in righteousness and justice, but lead in sin. They are wolves, leaders of the false church and leaders of government and invading armies. Verse 28, And her prophets, that dab they shall fall, that see vanities, they prophesy falsehood, talking about prophesying that war ain't coming, saying thus of Jesus, when Jesus has not spoken, that solely oppress the people of the land of injustice and commit robbery, oppress the poor and needy, and not deal injustice with the stranger. Amen. So forth. Let's go to another chapter or book of the Bible in page 478. Page 478. Zephaniah. Not, uh, let me turn pages here first. Zephaniah, which is not Zechariah, not the book of Zechariah, but the other Z, Zeph, Zephariah. And I'm sure of Brittany and my life can pronounce that much better than I can. Page 477. And actually, let's turn another page and go to chapter 3. Page 478, Zephariah, chapter 3. Give you a minute to get to your page. This is right before Haggai and Zechariah. Within the very last pages, within the last pages of the Old Testament, before Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 1. This is the scornful city that dwells securely, that says in her heart, I am, and there is no longer any to be afraid of me. How is she become desolate, a habitation of wild beasts? Everyone that passes through her shall hiss, shake his hands. Alas, the glorious and red-sunned city. The dove hearkened not to the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in Jesus. She drew not near to her theo. Her princes within her were as roaring lions, her judges as the wolves of Arabia. They remained not till tomorrow. 
Her prophets are light and scornful men. Her priests profane the holy things and sinfully transgress the law. But the just Lord is in the midst of her, and he will never do an unjust thing. Morning by morning, he will bring out his judgment to the light, and it is not hidden, and he knows not injustice by extortion, nor injustice in strife. I have brought down the proud, proud with destruction. Their corners are destroyed. I will make their ways completely waste, so that none shall go through. Their cities are come to an end. By reason of no man living or dwelling in them. I said, but do you fear me and receive instruction? And you shall not be cut off from the face of the land for all the vintage that I have brought upon her. Prepare you rise early. All all their produce is spoiled. Amen. Therefore wait upon me thus, said Jesus, until the day when I rise up for witness, because my judgment shall be on the gatherings of the nations to go to me king, to pour out upon them all my fierce anger, so the whole earth shall be consumed with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I change or return to the peoples, a tongue for her generation, that all may call on the name of Jesus to serve him under one yoke, to be one language. Amen. So forth. Amen. God is good. I encourage you to finish reading this chapter after services. You want to bookmark it, write it down or something. Right now, let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Page 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way that is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So it's saying there that there's a broad way to destruction. Many ways, easy to go to destruction. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, atheism, Baptist Church, Pentecostal Church, Catholic Church, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Wesleyan, Methodist, Presbyterian, East Pentecostal, all these different isms. There are many ways to destruction. The path to destruction is broad. All of the way of the world is broad. But the way to, to get into the kingdom is a narrow path. Narrow path to get into the kingdom. You can't just do or believe anything you want to do or believe. It's a narrow path to get into the kingdom. Amen. And that is opposite of what Billy Graham said. I have a video on the website, com slash Billy. Dot .html 
And on there, you can find either the video or a link to it one, where you can see it with your own eyes of Billy Graham teaching that the way to heaven is broad, that you can worship any religion, and that even in Islam, that even in any religion, you can find the true God. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. Here, see it with your own eyes, your own ears, at isawlightministries.com slash billy.html. Now it says here about the narrow path that there are few that find it. And people would take that one verse and say there's not going to be hardly anyone to go to heaven and not hardly anyone will be saved. That's what the Baptist Church, Pentecostal Church, interprets that to mean. A lot of religion, a lot of religious folks interpret that to mean that there ain't going to be many saved. But that's why we don't believe in one-verse theology, because there are other verses that say that many will be saved. actually said that. And that he died for many people, not just a few. And that there would be a great multitude that no one could number who would be covered in the blood of the Lamb. A great multitude, not just a few. So what does this mean? Considering the context of all the Bible, when there are a lot of verses that talk about a lot of people getting saved eventually, that's why we get two resurrections to get a lot of people saved. But he's not willing for any man to perish, but for all to come to everlasting life. Of course, some will perish. That's clear in Scripture. That God is no illusion. But the churches paint God as being a loser, saying that God created billions and billions of people. Billions of people. Look at how many billions in the Old Testament before, before the flood, after the flood, throughout the Old Testament times, and then today. Billions of people. I've billions of people. The false church wants you to think of God as a loser that most of all humanity that has ever lived are burning right now. 10, 20, 30 billion people that has lived throughout all of eternity, throughout all times since Adam and Eve, and even Adam and Eve himself, burning in a hell underneath the ground right now. That's what traditional church wants you to believe. That God is a loser. That the majority of God's creation is being tortured and will be tortured forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever without meaning into it. Now that is a God of hate. That's not a God of love that they are teaching. They are teaching demonic things. They are teaching a God of hate, a God of wrath, whose wrath never ends. A God of vintage, where vintage never ends. But the Bible says that his wrath will end. It says that. But yet the churches teach you a wrathful God whose wrath and anger will never end. They're teaching a God of hate. Exactly what they're teaching. And yet people fall for it so easy without questioning, 
without question, they fall for it. So what does this verse really mean about few finding it or few entering in? Well, if you imagine this in your mind, as I've said many times, you imagine a broad gate, many people go through it. The only answer people can go through that broad gate. But even with the broad gate, only so many people can go through the gate at a time. Each, each generation, only so many people can go even through the broad gate. Only so many people, but more people at a time. We keep that same analogy about the narrow gate. Hey, you may only have one person at a time getting saved. Only one person at a time. That is so true. Only one person in Canada, only one person in Australia, only one person in Korea, only one person in America, one at a time upon this whole world of billions of people. But the beautiful thing is another person can still enter in right behind that one person. And then another the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year. It may be a year before another person is saved anywhere on this planet. Believe it or not, it may be another year before anybody else gets saved anywhere on this planet. Find somebody that really believes in God and will commit themselves to Him and follow Him in the truth who are willing to give up the three-headed monster God who are willing to give up their money, who are willing to give up their pagan customs and traditions of mankind, demonic doctrines, this is hard to find. And only one enters at a time. But there will be another person and another person and another person and another person. And there are as many people that can enter through the narrow gate as what enters the broad, but it takes longer. It takes longer, but just as many people can't enter in, it just takes longer, and they have to form a line. But in the book of Revelation, it also tells us about that great multitude of people that will be saved in the great tribulation. When they see the war, when they see the fulfillment of prophecy, when they see the Bible coming to pass, Every sentence, every verse being fulfilled in order of what it says will happen. Hey, there's going to be a lot of people. A lot of people will get saved. They're going to burst that gate open, my friends. They're going to burst that gate open. There may be a few in each generation, and I believe that's really what it means, what it means about a few is I believe it's talking about in each generation. But when it's all said and done, there's going to be a lot of people to enter the kingdom because God is not a loser. Amen. Verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravelous wolves. Who's that talking about? in the context of people finding light and finding the narrow way compared to the broad way. Talk about Billy Graham, who teaches you that you can enter into heaven through any religion on earth. He's a wolf. 
Amen. And Rick Warren, who teaches the same thing. And Joel Olstein, who believes the same thing. Joel Olstein, who allows Muslims and homosexuals to sit on the front row of his church without, without, without telling them that they must repent. They are wolves, and so is every Baptist church pastor. So is every Pentecostal pastor. For the most part, when I say ever, I mean almost every one of them. I know that the Bible also says, come out of her, my people, in Revelation 18. That means that even in Babylon, there are some true people of God, but they have to come out of Babylon. There might be a Pentecostal or a Baptist preacher out there somewhere, just like the man I told you about from Canada that left the Baptist school of religion. They're there. You've been there. I've been there. We've all been in Babylon at some point. But we had to come out, and so must they come out. And if they don't come out, then they will fall with Babylon. Amen. It says here, verse 16, you would know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered. I want to see the underlying that word gathered. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me that. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are the figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the corrupted tree bears bad fruit. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, nor does a corrupted tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Underlying that word, thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. A lot of people think that means you would know them by their fruits today. Today. That you can look at the fruit of the Baptist church, Catholic church, whatever, 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 and know them by their fruits. But that's not true. Look at that word that you underline, gathered in verse 16. It's talking about on the last day of judgment, the last day when the people are gathered together, the goats on the left, the sheep on the right, at the white throne judgment, the end of the hundred years, that's when people will be gathered together for the judgment day and people, verse 19, you underline the word thrown into the fire. That is when you're going to know them by their fruit because the fruit of their religion is either life or death. And either they will live forever in the kingdom or they will be thrown into the lake of fire and die. You can't have both at the same time. They will either live or die, one or the other. Amen? It's what Romans 6.23 teaches us. Is that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life 
of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's one or the other, not both at the same time. <clears throat> so the gathering and the throwing into the fire is when you will finally know who is who. It's when people will finally know and everything will be revealed and everything that's hidden now will be revealed then. How much they have in their bank account, how many mansions and fancy cars they have, how instead, instead of helping the poor and the widows and the orphans, instead of sending Bibles to people, instead of teaching the truth, they pocketed the money from those CDs and those books and from their TV show. They pocketed the money. We're going to know how much money Joyce Myers makes. We're going to know how much money that each one of these rich people, these televangelists, how much money they are stealing from God and from the sheep. On that day, it will be revealed. Amen. I encourage you to read verse 20 to 23 after service is here. Let's go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 13. Verse 11, I mean. Chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Amen. I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Galora in the day of judgment than for that city, which means that Sodom and Galora, those homosexuals, might repent in the second resurrection. They're going to rise from the dead after the thousand years. Solomon Gloria, all those homosexuals and other wicked people, they will live to be, they will live a hundred years. They will live a hundred years. And God will show them more mercy, more grace, be more tolerable for those people because they just might repent. Then what it will be for the people in the time and lifetime of Jesus Christ and in your lifetime and my lifetime who actually saw Jesus in that day and time and in our day and time are seeing his witnesses, his disciples today, his prophets today, his apostles today, this ministry in you and me. And they still don't accept the truth. It will be worse on them on the day of judgment than what it will be to Sodom and Galora. This proves another lifetime. It proves another opportunity to repent. Amen. And in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Keeping of the context, 
It's talking about religious people who do not accept your word. Religious people who think that, that they are saved. Religious people that says Jesus lives, Jesus saves both the leaders and the inhabitants of the land. There was. And so it says that we are to be subtile, meaning wise and crafty, just as much as serpents. We are to be wise as serpents. Careful what you do. Careful what you say. Careful where you go. We've got to be careful with our words and our reactions. We've got to plan things out. We can't be hasty about our words, but rather we need to think about what we're going to say. We need to be crafty. And each time that we are not able to convince someone of the truth, we grow in knowledge and understanding of how to say it better next time, being crafty about it, not being deceitful, but being crafty and wise and how how we say things and do things and innocent as doves, not sinning through all of this. And but beware of mankind, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues and their churches of men. Yes, they will. Amen. So be aware of them. Be aware. Don't be naive. The Baptist church leaders, Catholic church leaders, and other leaders of false religion, they're dangerous. And they're not going to repent. No matter what scripture you show them, they're not going to repent. They are the leaders of darkness. They are the leaders. They are the cause of the evil upon this world. <clears throat> when you're talking about the leaders. But not just the leaders, but even the congregation. Beware of them. If they ain't going to listen to you, if they ain't going to listen to the truth, then mark them as being dangerous. Mark them as being dangerous. See who is worthy to receive the word of the Lord. And if they do not receive the word of the Lord, shake the dust off your feet, which is cursing them. That's exactly what that is. It's cursing them. Because they didn't not accept your word. What it was is they didn't accept God's word. Amen. And mark them as being dangerous. Because they are. They are dangerous. People don't understand that. And the worst of the dangerous people are the whining people. They're the most dangerous. More than as dangerous. As dangerous as a man who abuses his wife and she has to flee and she has to get a court order protection against her husband and he stalks her and threatens to kill her and stalks her everywhere she goes. 
and she feels threatened with her life, that is the kind of danger that these religious people are. They are a danger to your soul, and they are praying for your destruction, literally. They are praying that you will keep Christmas. They are praying that. They are praying for your death, for your destruction, for the loss of your salvation. That's not their words. That's not their heart. That's not their intent. But it's how God looks upon their prayers. That's how God looks upon their prayers. When they pray that you would keep Christmas, when they pray that you would leave this ministry, and they are praying that, don't you know that? Don't you know that? They are praying that you would leave the work of Jesus Christ where God brought you. That you would forsake the things that God has taught you. They are praying that you would forsake the revelations and the truth that God himself has taught you. They are praying against you every day, every night. As much as you pray, they are praying more that you will fall away from the truth. We are in a war, and it's very, very real and dangerous. Mark these people as dangerous. Amen. Be careful who you call your brother and your sister. Be careful who you allow in your house. Be careful who you listen to over the phone. Be careful because their traps are dangerous. And if you think, if you think that you can never, ever, ever be led away from this ministry, let me tell you this. People have looked me in the eye in this building right here. They have looked me in the eye and they have said directly to me, I will never leave you. I will never leave this ministry. Where are they today? They are not to be found. Don't underestimate the tactics of the enemy. If you allow them in your home, if you allow them to talk to you over the phone, if you allow them to continue to fellowship with you and continue, you continue to go to their churches, you continue to read those books, those CDs, those websites, they can pull you away so easy, so easy. Think of many others. It wasn't just the one person. Person after 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 person. There has been many, many, many people who God brought to this ministry of truth the devil stowed away. And I think of one woman many years ago that was very faithful in the ministry, always came to church, supported the ministry, but she kept talking to wolves in sheep's clothing. She kept talking over the phone, over the phone, constantly, over and over and over. And she would bring the poison 
back to me over the phone. Such and such said this and this. Such and such, such and such gossip. Such and such, such and such, that you're a false prophet, that that you're not teaching the truth, that you're deceived, all this. But I don't believe them, and I'm telling them that they're wrong about it. And I told her, stop talking to them. Stop talking to them. And it kept on, and it kept on, and it kept on, and it kept on. So then eventually, it got so bad to the point to where I actually had to give a commandment, which I don't like to do at all, which I have hardly ever, ever done in my entire life, to command that she not speak to these people. I only do that at only very last resort. But I do have the authority to do so in Jesus Christ as his minister, as his pastor, as an apostle. I have that right and that duty and responsibility to do that if it so need be. And I gave that commandment and she still continued to talk to those people. Where is she today? Don't think that no one can pull you away from the truth. Do not underestimate the enemy. They are serpents, and they are wise in their devices and their plots and their plans, and they are praying to demons. They're not praying to God. They are praying to demons in demonic names, and they are setting traps for you. Do not fellowship with the enemy. Be careful who you call your brother. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17, from... Malthus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. But I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was probable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance for Theos and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Ghost solemnly testified to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of Theos. 25, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, but I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of Theos. Be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves 
and for all the flock, talking to the church as sheep. Be on guard. Amen. People don't understand that when that when you are part of the flock of sheep, when you are part of a congregation, that there is a wolf who is preparing to attack the congregation. The wolves are preparing to attack. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to shepherd the sheep, the church of Theos, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. Even among the congregation, there could be wolves. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, after themselves. Amen. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to acknowledge each one with tears. The Apostle Paul was a man with a tender heart that cried for the church because he knew that there was wolves in sheep's clothing that would draw people away. We are in a war. We must be on the alert and on guard that we do not allow the false doctrines to creep in. We do not allow false brethren to creep in. This is why I address sin. Most churches do not address sin. Now, I will say again, as I've said many times, that sinners are welcome to come to services to learn about God, learn about the Spirit of the Lord, to receive the Spirit of the Lord, to get saved. But after they have been with us for such a amount of time that they have not repented, then the sin must be addressed head to head. And if they do not repent, they must be disfellowshipped. But the churches of this world, many of them do not operate that way. They will let a person continue to come to church for years without that sin being addressed and without disfellowship. And what that is, is allowing sin in the camp of God and not dealing with it and it is poison. We must address sin. And those that refuse to repent must eventually be cast out. After they've given a chance and they still don't repent, they must be cast out. But people don't cast people out of church no more. That's why you have how many thousands of people at Joel Osteen's church? That's why you have 
so many thousands and millions of people following Rick Warren and Joyce Myers and 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 that person and that person, all these television rich television evangelists, because they don't kick nobody out of the church for any reason. You can come and sit in the front row, even as a Muslim, even as an unrepentant homosexual, sit on the front row of Joel A. Osteen's church, be directly invited by him, and never tell them, you must repent. The broad way to destruction, and it's why those mega churches are mega churches. It's not because they're preaching the true gospel. Because if they if they taught the true gospel, the building would be empty. Amen. They preach what they have to preach to get money, to make more money, to make more money, to make more money. That's why their churches are full of people. Amen. Now let's go to the book of Sirach uh, uh, in the Apotheca. And in case you've never heard of this book of Sirach, also known as the Wisdom of Sirach, chapter 13, it is a book of the Bible that was actually in the Bible that Jesus used. And it was actually also in the King James of 1611. And eventually they took it out of the Bible, and in most Bibles, it, it's not there no more in most Bibles, page 117. And so most people have not been taught the whole word, the whole scriptures, the whole Bible. Books of the Bible have been taken away. That's a fact of history. And the claim is that the church, Catholic Church, and the Jews took these books of the Bible out because that they do not align with Scripture. That's the claim. But I have read these books, every word of these books, and they do line with Scripture. They were part of the Bible in the day of Jesus Christ. He never spoke a word against it that we know of. They were part of the Bible Jesus used. How can you say that they should not be in the Bible? That's blessed. Chirik 13, verse 1, page 117. He that touches pitch or oil or mud or anything grimy shall be defiled therewith. And he that has fellowship with a proud man shall be like unto him. So when you have fellowship or friendship with the proud, and you keep doing that, you keep doing that, you keep doing that, and you never disfellowship from him, it's going to rub off some on you. The same is true of any sin, not just pride. When we hang out with people and associate with people, whether it's talking about associating with people in the church or outside church, that when you associate yourself with people, they rub off onto you. Verse 2, burden on yourself 
above your power while you live and have no fellowship with the one that is mightier and richer than yourself. But how agree the cattle and the earthly pot together? For if the one be smitten against the other, it shall be broken. It's warning poor people from intermingling fellowshipping with the rich people because we know that the Bible says, even Jesus said, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. So if it is that difficult, so extremely difficult for a rich man to enter heaven, then why would we want to fellowship with them? Why would we want to go to a rich person's church? Why would we want to listen to a television evangelist who is a multi-millionaire? They're not going to lead you to heaven. They're going to lead you to the same place that they're going. Amen. They're going to lead you to the lake of fire if you are following a rich television evangelist or a rich pastor. Where are they going to lead you? To the same place they are going. Amen. The Bible teaches us Poverty, not prosperity of money. It teaches us poverty. It teaches us to go and sell everything you have. The man came to Jesus, said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, sell everything and give your money to the poor. The man refused to do so because he owned a lot. But yet, the message of prosperity is a message of a wolf in sheep's clothing, tickling the ear, tickling the lust of the flesh. Don't you want a beautiful car? Don't you want a new car? I went to a church in Morristown years ago where they were talking about cars. But don't you want a brand new car? And I've heard it on TV, I've heard it on the radio, I've heard it, yeah, on the radio. That God would give you a brand new car. Listen, I don't want a brand new car. What I want is eternal life. Amen. I don't want gold and silver and more riches. I don't want to win the lottery. What I want is eternal life. Amen. The wise would intermingle with the rich. We shouldn't. Verse 4. Let's go to verse 3. Verse 3. The rich man has done wrong, and yet he threatens with the poor is wronged, and he must beseech also. If you be, if you be for his profit, he will use you. But if you have nothing, he will forsake you. If you have anything, he will live with you. Yes, he will make you bear and will not be sorry for it. If we have need of you, if he have need of you, he will receive you and smile upon you and put you in hope. He will speak you fair and say, what do you want? And he will shame you by his meat and his food until he have drawn you dry twice or three times. And at the last, he will ask you to scorn afterward when he sees you. He will forsake you and shake his head at you. Beware that you be not deceived and brought down, 
in your jealousy. If you be invited of a mighty man and withdraw yourself, and so much the more will he invite you. Press you not upon him, lest you be put back, stand not far away, lest you be forgotten. Affect not to be made equal unto him in talk, and believe not his many words, for with much communication will he tempt you, and smiling upon you will get out your secrets. But cruelty will lay up your words, and will not spare to do you hurt, and to put you in prison. Observe and take good heed, for you walk in peril of you, your overthrowing when you hear these things awake in your sleep. Love the Lord all your life and call upon him for your salvation. Every beast loves his like or his similar, and every man loves his neighbor. All flesh consorts according to his kind, and a man will cleave to his like. What fellowship has the wolf with the lamb? So the sinner for the ungodly. Amen. Say that again. What fellowship has the wolf with the lamb? Or the sinner with the godly? And yet people that think that they are saved are having fellowship with wolves, with the ungodly, with drug addicts, with alcoholics, the Bible says that a drunkard would not enter the kingdom. And yet people spend several hours a day with drunkards who are not repenting. And people say that Jesus hung out with the drunkard, that Jesus hung out with the sinners, as if that it's a good thing to fellowship with sinners and never disfellowship from them. The truth is that when Jesus hung out with sinners, he was preaching to them about repentance. Amen? He was not partying with them. He was not getting drunk with them. He was not doing the drugs with them. He was not condoning of their sin, but rather telling them to sin no more. Amen? There's a difference. The people, people who think they are saved, think it's okay to be addicted to drugs, think it's okay to be addicted to drugs, and think that they can still get to heaven even though they're addicted to drugs. I've had people tell me this. And this same person says, but I know I'm saved, I know I'm saved, I know that I'm saved. And yet, they think they can be addicted to drugs, not ever receive deliverance from it, never recover from it, and support other people financially in their drug addiction and expect me to support them in their drug addiction. No, that ain't going to happen. And that's why they're not here today. Amen? That's why they're not here today. They can holler Jesus saved and they're saved all they want to, but they're not here today because I address sin. Amen? So it says here, 
verse 17, what fellowship has the wood with the lamb? To the sinner with the ungodly. What agreement is there between the hyena and a dog? And what peace between the rich and the poor? And as the wild donkey is the lion's prey in the wilderness, so that the rich eat up the poor. As the proud hate humility, so does the rich abhor the poor. And you can continue to read that chapter after services if you want. I will go back now. So well, before I do that, let me put this all together a little bit now. Put together everything that we've read. We've read Jeremiah 5. Ezekiel 22, Zephaniah 3, Matthew 7, Matthew 10, Acts 20, and Sharik 13. Put all this together that when Jesus showed me that wolf on the side of the road just two days ago, and it was the first time and the only time in my entire life I have ever seen a wolf in the wild. And only a few minutes later, walking into that doctor's office and seeing that painting of a wolf as soon as I looked through the receptionist window, God is real. And God is speaking concerning the wolf. And when we look in the Bible at the symbolism of the wolf, it is negative and it is warning and it is not good things. For the Native Americans, my forefathers, my Cherokee grandfathers worshipped the wolf, idolized the wolf as a great thing, as a great animal. But the Bible sees the wolf as a negative thing, totally opposite of the Native Americans. I had to repent of ancestry worship. I had to repent of condoning the sins and the lies and the fairy tales of my Cherokee Indian forefathers as well as my Jewish forefathers on my other side of the family. Whether they are Jew, whether they are Muslim, whether they are Hindu, whether they are Native American, whether they are Korean or Australian or British or whatever bloodline they may be, regardless whether they are our parents or brothers or sisters or our children, if they believe in the fairy tales of paganism, false stories about the Noah's blood, false, false stories about the creation, and idolizing and worship of evil things and, and worship the creation rather than worship of the creator, then we must denounce those things. Amen? Denounce those things. Expose those things. Speak out against those things. And stop repeating the sins of our forefathers and repent for our forefathers and break the yoke of bondage and come out of bondage and be delivered. Speak against that evil. Speak against those false religions and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord, the King, the God Almighty, and the Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer, who does not lie to us and wants us to come out of false religion, wants us to come out of the denominations God is not seeking for you to be a member of a denomination, but, ra but rather a true follower of him. 
And the work that God showed me is a symbolism for invasion. If you did not listen to those, if you was not tuned in to the sermon yet, you can go back after the sermon because we're closing here in a few minutes. And I'd like you to write down Jeremiah 5 so that you can read it after services. In Ezekiel 22, about how the wolf not only is talking about false ministers, but also invading armies that are going to be brought by the hand of God into this nation of America, into South Korea, into Australia, into Canada, into Nigeria, into South Africa, and into all into the Israel, the tribe of Judah and the Middle East, will be invaded. The wolf is a symbolism for false prophets, for the rich, for those that would deceive us, for those that would lead us away from Jesus Christ, and for invading armies. And there is a judgment that is coming to these nations because America and all the nations of the world have forsaken God, have forsaken Jesus Christ. They have embraced and allowed abortion. They have embraced and allowed Islam. They have embraced and allowed every ism of man rather than Jesus Christ. God does not take pleasure in the denominations of man, regardless of what denomination you're talking about, because those denominations are full and overrunning with false doctrine. Come out of her, my people, so that you would not partake in her sins and in her judgment. Judgment is coming to this land. That is why God showed me that wolf. Now, that was in the context of the sitting when I entered the doctor's office and somebody's child had colored in the craving of uh, colored books and they hung that picture of the wolf on the wall. I looked around the room and it was full of Islamic Christmas decorations. And you say, Islamic Christmas decorations? I thought the Muslims don't keep Christmas. I'd like for you to study about the president of Syria. Bashar Assad, evil be his name. He is a Muslim. He believes in the Quran. He even published his own version of the Quran and sent his own version of the Quran to all the Islamic universities across the planet telling them that this is the authoritative Quran that the Muslims across the world must go by. He sent a copy of it to all the Muslim leaders in the world, prime ministers and presidents and colleges and universities, and said that this is the Quran of the Muslim people. The president of Syria keeps Christmas, believes in Christmas, decorates for Christmas, goes to church on Christmas, uh, associates with the Catholics on Christmas, shakes their hands and blesses them on Christmas. Why? Because he knows Christmas came from Syria, from us, us Syria, I should say, came from us Syria. That is documented history. Documented history. Christmas did not begin in Bethlehem. It began in the ancient Islamic doctrines of 
Bashar Assad, the Antichrist. Look it up yourself. Do your research. You don't have to believe me. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to do your own research. Examine yourself. Examine your doctrines. Examine the doctrines of these religions. Where did it come from? And you will see that when that Antichrist manifests himself, president of Syria, he will not tell the nations, you've got to stop keeping Christmas, but rather he will promote it because he knows it worships him and not Jesus. Christmas is all about the worship of the false religions of this world. It is all about worship of demons, fallen angels. That's why they put an angel on top of the Christmas tree. It is all about the worship of angels, false angels, which the Bible warns us against. The people have not changed. It's the same sins today as it was and always has been. Amen. There is judgment coming. And where will the pastors be then? They will be in the field, being eaten by wolves. God is sending a devouring animal, a beast called Assad. He is a beast. He is a wild beast. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And people will worship him, and he will lead the people. He will lead the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians. And both popes will stand beside him, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, the two horns of the false prophet. Read it in your Bible, Revelation 13, how the false prophet has two horns. And if one horn be the Antichrist and is one person, and if ten horns be ten kings, one equals one and ten equals ten, then why are people saying that the two horns of the false prophet is only one false prophet? If one equals one and ten equals ten, then two equals two. You've got two false prophets and one Antichrist. You've got three men. All three claiming to be God because that is what the Trinity doctrine is all about. And that began in Assyria as well. Look it up. Do your own research. The Trinity doctrine started in the land of pagan, heathen, Islamic Assyria. And it is necessary that you believe in a three-headed God so that you will worship the three-headed God. That's the purpose of that false doctrine of a trinity is so that you will worship the three-headed God. Greek mythology. Doctrines of your traditional religions. The doctrines of wolves in sheep's clothing. Leading you to destruction, not to the truth. False churches of this world. Pastors, dangerous to your soul. God will send invading armies to eat the flesh of men. Amen. Who will be left standing? Amen. And why that particular doctor's office, some people would jump to a conclusion, I would not do that. 
many people jump to conclusion and say that God was saying I should not be at a doctor's office. They're deceived. Those people are deceived. Because if I did not go to the doctor's office, I would not be alive today and I would not be able to preach to you the word of God today. I would be dead in the grave, eaten up by worms, just like David is, Bible says. I have to go to the doctor. But this particular doctor's office, which I still must go to, there's no way around it. Please don't pray for my health. I'm okay. This particular doctor's office these Christmas decorations reveal that they are hypocrites because these people are Democrats. By large and far, that particular doctor's office is Democrats, atheists, people who believe and promote homosexuality. That is that doctor's office. I have no escape from that. It's the only one I can go to for this particular condition. I have no escape for that. But the fact that these atheists and homosexuals and people that promote every sin in the book are claiming that they are worshiping Jesus, that they have all these Christmas decorations up. Hey, they can claim, just like all these other members of false religion, just all these people in the world, everybody in the world, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. They can claim it night and day. But there is judgment coming. Because they are keeping that Islamic Christmas and saying, we're not doing wrong. We're here to help people. And we're okay. And we're people of love. And we love you. But they are lost. They are lost. Amen. They are lost people. And so is your family. And the only answer is if somebody, if someone, if someone, God told Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 1, 2, 3, go to the city and see if you can find anyone. Is there anyone? Is there anyone who is willing to obey the Lord? Jeremiah didn't find any. He did not find anyone, and neither have I, except for only a handful. Amen. But there will be another person, one more from one nation, and then one more from another nation, and then one more from another nation, and we will keep speaking the truth for as long as possible, for as long as I have a voice to continue to preach the truth, more will come into the fold of the flock of Jesus Christ. People will be saved. And when the prophecies are fulfilled, there will be many more. 
Amen. There will be many, many more after the prophecies are fulfilled, the prophecies of Jesus Christ. If you're listening to this service for the first time, I really encourage you to visit the ministry website, I saw the light ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. We encourage people to dig deep, ask the tough questions. Why do you believe what you do? And as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, prove everything and hold fast to that which is good. Prove everything. Amen. Don't assume that you have been taught correctly or that you believe correctly already. Because Revelation 12 verse 9 says that Satan has deceived the whole world. The whole world. The whole world has been deceived. That's why you only have one truly saved person at a time. Only one at a time. You don't, there ain't no such thing as a hundred or a thousand or a million people getting saved at one time. That's a lie of the devil. There's no such thing as revival in a land that is worshiping demons. It's not going to happen until God brings a spanking to this nation and to this world. Then the people will learn to fear the Lord. Then the people will ask the questions. What happened to the rapture? I thought we were going to get raptured out. What happened? Then they will ask the questions and read the Bible finally. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the sermon today. Please pray for Brother Michael, one man that has stepped out from the world, leaving his family to come to be part of the congregation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pray for his safe travel tomorrow. I believe that's, what, 800 or 900 and some miles, I think, if I got that right. And uh, coming to serve the Lord and uh, to be uh, a help to this ministry. Uh, pray for his safe travel. Pray for his finding a place to live and find a job and everything according to the will of the Lord. And we'll meet you back here next week, every Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. Put it on your calendar, 2 o'clock next week. Thank you for listening. We'll go lay down. We'll, we'll have a meal and rest. Keep this Sabbath day holy unto the Lord. And I hope that you also will keep this day holy unto the Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.